The book of Revelation, I mean, most of the time when you hear a preacher that's going to preach on the book of Revelation, you're going to see this huge thing up on the screen or on the wall with all the different dispensations and how all it's going to happen and people going up into the clouds and Jesus standing on a cloud, calling everybody up. That's not what we're doing today. That is a part of Revelation, uh, and it is a confusing part of Revelation. And everyone, anyone who tells you they've got all that end time stuff figured out, so far, everyone that's ever had it figured out got it wrong. Because every generation has someone that predicts the time. And um, so I'm not going to get pulled into that during this series. Uh, I have my own theories on some things. But um, little, th- th- there's this section in, in, uh, in Revelation where John, the author of the gospel according to John, the author of 1, 2, and 3 John, and the author of, Re- author of Revelation, uh, he has a real intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, he walked with him for years, and he's, he, he, he pastored churches, and he encouraged. But the Lord gave him a vision, and in that vision, uh, Jesus spoke to him, but then uh, he appeared to him. But then uh, there was an angel that was told by Jesus to tell John to tell the churches these things. And there's seven churches that he speaks to. So we're in a series, seven lessons from seven churches uh, or from seven lessons from seven letters to seven churches. Um, these churches, by the way, if you walk the Roman road in Asia Minor, when you get off, get off the water, you're going to go to Ephesus first. The next one you're going to come to is Smyrna. A um, couple of interesting things about these letters. Number one, they're not addressed to the churches. They're addressed to the angel of the church in Smyrna or angel of the church in Ephesus. And here's something curious. Now, there is some debate theologically, so I don't want to stand up here and say, I've got this figured out. But Romans 3, or excuse me, Ephesians 3.10 tells us that um, one of the things that church is to do is to de- declare the manifold wisdom of God to the spirits and the authorities of the air. And in my head, I've always had that as a preacher, that there's a, there's a demonic spirit that is in charge of a different region, city, whatever, um, in, in any area. So every time you preach the truth, it takes away some of his power. It kind of death by a thousand lashes. It kind of backs him off a little bit. Um, but it never occurred to me that if there's authorities and spirits of the air, now that's just a, it's a cosmology, uh, a way of viewing the world that is purely biblical. But if there is a demonic spirit that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, there's also an angelic spirit who is in charge of an area and they're doing battle together. I think that the reason these letters are addressed to the, to the angel of the church is if you, if you hear, if you're the angel in charge of this particular city and you're like from the one who was the first and the last, you know, say to the angel, boom. And so you know who, all right, well, if, if they do what they're supposed to do, I'm supposed to do this. I mean, I think you're gonna listen up. And so I want you to be thinking, I'm asking you to be thinking that there's always more going on than just what God says to you and I. We're not going to get way into that, into those weeds, but it's not just what he's saying to you and I. It's what he's saying to, to, to the spiritual, whatever's happening in the spiritual realm. So that being said, all of these letters to each, each of these letters to each of these churches was supposed to be read not only to the church that it was addressed, 
but to all the other churches. So they're supposed to read each other's mail. And that's why they're in scripture, so that we can read their mail. Because if, if Ephesus was struggling with, with giving into the, 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 the ideas of the Nicolaitans, um, where they were trying to say, well, if we're supposed to love one another, we're supposed to love them so much that we love everybody. And so we just sleep with anyone we want. That's not of God. And so we're supposed to, but it, it, if let's say the church in Thyatira gets over what they're struggling with, but they start struggling with this, they're supposed to see that Jesus said what he says about that. So we as Christians are supposed to hear the, the warnings, the admonitions, the blessings, and the hope that he gives to these other churches. So with that kind of background, we've talked about Ephesus last week. We'll, we'll move into Smyrna. So just pray with me and then we'll, Lord, stand in my shoes. Give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth. I do not want to say what you don't want to say. I want to speak your word to your people. So I'm asking, Lord, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you want us to see, hear, and receive. Join us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to kind of give us a frame of reference for this message, let me tell you two things. One, Lynn and I are very different in our I would call it a spiritual pathway, what, how, how the Lord kind of brings us into his presence. Um, for example, some of you are academics and you want to read and study and pick apart literature and, 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 or, or math or whatever it may be. Um, others are artistic and you like to express yourself in painting or clay or whatever, music, whatever it may be. Lynn is a composer. She's very creative. Um, uh, and then some nature. I mean, my, my buddy Glenn, if he, he, he connects with God alone in the mountains for a week at a time. Lynn has a romance with Jesus like nobody I know. Just a heart intimacy that I can't even fathom. And I'm, sometimes I covet it I, or, or, or I'm envious of it or I wish that I was wired that way, but God has wired me kind of on the other side of the spectrum where my, my connection with God most often takes place when there's something dark or difficult, where there's some kind of suffering or betrayal. That's when I connect with him most. And so this message to the church in Smyrna and this message for all of you is if you're one of those people that you can't, you can't always grasp the happy, happy, joy, joy, um, but you, you suffer and it hurts and you feel alone. I mean, especially now, listen, because there's, there's hope in it and you can even have hope and love for it. But just so that you know that there is hope, I'm gonna read Isaiah 55 um, before we get to the church in Smyrna, and just listen to it. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and if you have no money, come buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what, uh, on what is not bread or labor, on what does not satisfy? Listen to me, or listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. And then now words directly from God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so, is, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth that will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out with joy and joy you and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree and instead of the briars the myrtle will grow this is for the lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed we are in a time folks that you and i both know is different than any other time at least in my lifetime and there are people right now suffering there are some of us that aren't suffering. We're inconvenienced and it's frustrating and we get angry and we get bored, but some of us are suffering. Some people watching online have had almost no human contact in 18 to 20 weeks. We're not made to be alone. All of us get lonely, but not everyone suffers aloneness. There are those that have been alone when hospitalized, have been diagnosed with cancer and they have no one to comfort them. Pastor Greg now can set up and Pastor Kurt can set up appointments to go see someone if they get it all cleared. But most of the time seeing someone who's infirmed and alone, you have to stand outside, speak through a glass window to meet with someone. There are people that are truly suffering. There are people that are scared every time they have a sniffle, every time they have a cough. There are people suffering. For those, Jesus has something to say. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, excuse me, <laughs> I'm skipping a week. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, the, are of a, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now theologians get a little caught up in this second death idea because as Christians, we believe that we die and we die only once. But there's this movement, there was this movement in Judaism. There's about four different uh, understandings of what happens after you die, but two are primary. One is you die as a, this is before Jesus, you die and you go to a place, some call paradise, um, and you're there until the final judgment and then God makes a new Jerusalem and he brings you into that new Jerusalem. Um, and if you're not of God, then you just go away. Annihilation. That's called the second death. Others see it as, and most Christians would say that, that if we are, 
if Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrection, then all will be resurrected. We will all die a physical death, um, but all will be resurrected, some to eternal life with Christ and others to eternal torment. And that torment would be a second death. It would be, think of it like this. None of you will suffer at all on the day of judgment. That's what he's saying. That if you persevere, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And we, as Christians, we love this. We do. I, everyone but me. Because I'm, I'm weird. And I am. I remember having a, a, an argument with my brother-in-law who was also a pastor. They lived in our home for a while. Right before they went off and he went to play in a church, a very large church, ended up being in, in, uh, in, uh, in Massachusetts uh, called New England Chapel. Um, he and I were arguing. He's like, well, what about he you know, heaven and, and the promise and paradise? And I'm like, I never think about that. I don't. I never, it never, it almost never crosses my mind. I know I'm supposed to because I'm a Christian, but the comfort of golden streets and angels and 24-7 worship for eternity, I don't sing well. Maybe in glory I will, but I, to me, there's a country song called On the Outskirts of Heaven. I mean, to me, heaven, it would be kind of like I have a little spot where I can be alone. I can be around other people, but there's a little boat in a little river and the fish are not always biting, but I can sit on a creaky porch swing and walk down and get in there, row out there and maybe catch one, maybe not. That to me is paradise. Now, God, how is God gonna do it? I don't know, but I don't think much about heaven. Many do, great but even if you took heaven out of the mix as a Christian, I wouldn't change what I believe because my experiences show me that life in Christ, abiding in him and him in me works. It's better than my untrustworthiness. My feelings, my experiences are not trustworthy. Pain tells me something's wrong, but it doesn't tell me what is wrong. Sin, I might feel guilty or shameful, but it doesn't tell me how to overcome sin. Scriptures do, they're always reliable. And what Jesus is saying to the church, something's about to go down for you and it's gonna get ugly. When he says that you'll be, Satan will test you and in this synagogue of Satan and you might be in prison for 10 days, here's what's going on. The Jewish people in Asia Minor had a special relationship with Rome because um, they were an ancient Semitic culture. And even though Rome was polytheistic, had lots of gods, they allowed the Jews, because it was just easier to keep peace with them, if the Jews are allowed to worship their God and only their God. And they didn't have to bend a knee to the emperor, of which in Smyrna, they had one of two or three cities were allowed to, given the privilege to have a temple to the emperor where they worship the emperor. But then all these other gods, um, they allowed the Jews to have a special relationship in Rome to keep peace. But the Jews had, had, had risen up uh, against Rome about two decades before this letter was written and they were put down harshly and then as a result, every Jewish person that lived in under the Roman umbrella, the empire, uh, they, they had to pay a, pay a special tax. And so this relationship between Rome and the Jewish people, especially in specific cities, was, was tenuous at best. Christians fell under the umbrella of Judaism because Christ, the one we worship, fulfilled all of the prophecies and all of the law of, of Judaism. But the Jews were afraid that the Christians were gonna get the Jews in trouble. 
Now, I'm not coming down on Jews in general or of, of Judaism at all, but this particular group of people, this is what's going on. Rome in, in, in Smyrna, if, you, if someone's gonna get arrested, they had to have someone accuse them, turn them in, inform upon them. Much like Mao Zedong did in the revolution in China or Mussolini did in Italy or Hitler did in Germany or um, still happens today in North Korea. All of the, the, the despots and dictators, the godless dictators of the 20th century, they all did this. They asked one person to watch another person and find out what they're doing wrong or even, or just accuse them of doing wrong. And that becomes the basis for arrest and imprisonment. And what they would do is they could hold you for 10 days just on the accusation of another person. And then they would torture you for 10 days trying to get more information and names of more people out of you. And, they, and when I say torture, we think prison is torture in and of itself. You, you sit there, they bring you nothing but bread and water and you have a little can over on the side where you do your business. And you might be all alone, it's dank, it's dark, it's smelly. No, they beat them. They starved them and sometimes even did horrible torture, horrible tortures things that just caused pain. And then if you did give in or if any other accusation came up against you after the 10 days, you're gonna be murdered. Some by crucifixion, others by lashing, others by just various and sundry ways of killing prisoners. And some were released, but they always had a stigma on them after that. So the, the synagogue of Satan are these Jewish people who betray innocence, innocent people for their own safety. And Jesus knows it's coming. And he tells the church in Smyrna, you're gonna suffer. Remain strong. Even when they're beating you. Even if they kill you, there is a hope beyond now. Now, most of us aren't suffering. We're inconvenienced. We talked about that a moment ago. Some are suffering. Some are afraid. Some have had family members turn against them because they see our response to this pandemic differently. And so we can't, we can't abide each other if we don't think the other person's right. So what is God saying to us in his letter to Smyrna? Are we gonna suffer? I don't know. I really don't. But for the first time in my 54 years, I can see how that could happen. I've always heard of the martyrs or the, the Christians in China or in certain countries in Africa or in India or in some of the um, uh, some of the Middle Eastern countries that do not love God. And people are just, they go off to church into someone's home in, the, in someone's basement in China and there's people waiting. They bust down the doors and they take them all and they imprison the pastor and kill him and imprison the other people and, and up to two or three generations of their family. They accuse and torture, and some are martyred. I've always looked at that, man, we need to pray for them, but never really had an idea of how it could get that bad. 
And I'm not sure that we'll ever get that bad, but can't you see how it could happen more so now than before? So what's God saying to the church? You know, we've been praying for um, the second, uh, second Chronicles, was it 417 or 714? I'll just read it to you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked, from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. In my head, it has always been, if the people will call on my name, humble themselves, confess their wicked ways, I will hear their prayer from heaven and heal their land. But it's not, it's if, if my people, if the church, if the Christians, if the, if it, back then it was the, if the Jewish people, if the people who identify with me will confess their sin, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will heal their land. There is something going on that I'm not sure we're able to hear. There's a story of a pastor James Brooks, he's an author too, but he, he tells a story of visiting a friend's house and hearing music in the house and he couldn't really tell what it was at first and he realized it was a bird, but it wasn't a bird making a bird sound. It was bird making almost human sounds and it wasn't a parrot or a parakeet, it was a bullfinch. And he asked the lady how, they're not known for being able to mimic. It's not like a mockingbird. And, and she said, well, it's taking me a lot of time, but... I just sing the notes over and over and over. And over time, the bird learns my song. But you know when she had to teach the bullfinch to sing? At night. Not a light in the house. Not a light outside because a bird distracted. But there's a song that a bird learned in the darkness. And if we're honest and we really look at scripture, we'll see that even David says that there's a song that God puts on my heart at night. We'll hear that even one of Job's, Job's counselors said that God puts a new song in your heart in darkness. What's the song? Because God is doing something. Last week, I think I said it in this service, that we've been asking God to heal our land, and I think he actually is. He's just not healing our land the way we want him to. We're not back to normal, and man, do I want to get back to normal. Wearing a mask. Does your breath stink when you breathe into those things? If I've been close to people, like, huh, it's awful. And I'm, I'm hard of hearing, and I can't, hear, I can't read lips. So my brain misunderstands all kinds of things. I want to be able to drive where I want to go and not be treated like a leper if I sneeze. I want to be able to congregate with who I congregate, who I want to congregate with. I want to, if I want to, I'm going to drive to Florida and go to Disney World. But right now I'd have to wear a mask the whole time and I'm a sweaty person. See, mildly inconvenienced, but I want it back to normal. I want God to heal our land so that we're right back to where we were, but I don't think that's what God wants, honestly. I think God is healing our land and I think he's writing a new song on the hearts of his people. And he's telling us that, that even in suffering, even in aloneness, even in dis-ease, even in, even if, even when, that we need to learn 
to be thankful for the thorns, not just the roses. My wife cut these because I was not going to spend church money and go and buy 12 long stems. These are roses. Without the roses, they're thorns and leaves. If you know anything about rose bushes, and I know this much, at the end of every year, you cut them way back. And then miraculously, when the sun comes out and the earth thaws and the, and the rain comes down, all of a sudden, out of these tiny little bushes, roses, thorns first, stems first. And then they, they pull up the water, or the, they nurture the, the water and the nutrients from the ground and they photosynthesize the sun and they push up, they push up. And after the thorns and after the leaves on some of the stems, there's a bud. And yeah, I know there's pollen and bees involved, but really, can you have a rose without a thorn? From the thorns will come myrtle. From the thistle will come pine, a pine grove. But the thistles and the thorns have to come first. There is a song that God teaches us in the darkness. Are you listening for what God is trying to say? Not everyone is called to suffer, but some are. Peter gets rescued from prison. John gets put in. They try to boil him in oil twice and it doesn't work. But Stephen and others, they go to prison, they're lashed, they're beaten and they're killed. Why do some get saved and others don't for persecution and suffering? I don't know. Why did the, the man who was born blind, why was he allowed to suffer until his adulthood so that Jesus could heal him and say, no one sinned that he was born blind, but so that God might be glorified right now. But if you're that guy, are you gonna go to Jesus and go, why did you let me suffer for 13 or 14 or 18 or 20 years just to make me better now? Why didn't you just make me better before? I don't think so. I think that he, he took the healing and he rejoiced that he was used by God, thorns of a life that he was used by God to glorify God, because it will be for the Lord's renown. I'm not saying, because I am not a predictor of the future, the only one who knows the future is the one who holds the future. I don't know the future, but I do know the one who does. And I don't know if you're gonna suffer. I don't know if I'm gonna suffer, but I do know the one who does. And I know what he tells all of those that he says in advance, you're gonna suffer. Stay faithful, endure. We just sang a song, my grace is enough. When you hear that, you go, yeah, it's enough. But this is the one who is able, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Those, those words, Paul invented those words in Greek. Uper ekperiso uper panta. To him who is able to do infinitely more abundantly above all we could ask or even dream up. That's more than enough. Your grace, my grace is sufficient, but sufficient isn't just enough. It's way more than enough. God wants to teach us a new song and it's gonna be glorious. 
And there's something that we don't always get that God is doing. When I asked at the beginning to think of the bigger picture, there's something bigger going on in Western civilization and all the way around the world. And we can learn it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna ask this as a question because I theologically have not absolutely landed on it, but there's something, there's something that God is revealing and it's phenomenal. When, do you remember Lot, Old Testament? Remember the two cities? I'm not gonna say them on, like they'll probably get flagged on YouTube. The two cities, one of them was Gomorrah. And God is saying, get out because I'm gonna destroy these cities. And Lot has this little bartering with, 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 with God. And what does God say? What does it boil down to? If you can find one, one righteous man, I will spare those cities. One righteous man, I will spare those cities. What happened when, when God is sending the people of God in, he's allowing them to go into exile into Babylon? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. What does God tell the people before they go off for decades into captivity? What does he tell them? He says that when you get there, I want you to give your sons and daughters over for marriage and your grandchildren. And I want you to bless them because if you bless them and you thrive, they will be blessed and they will thrive. He even took Nebuchadnezzar, a demon-worshiping king, and turned him around to the point. It, it got ugly. Don't, I'm not, don't hear me wrong. But it turned him around to a point that he ended up with a, with, a, with a worldwide decree that the God of the universe is the only God and the ones the Jews have been worshiped, and he's going to bend his knee to him. God did something phenomenal. Why? How? By sending faithful people to a spot. And if you look at these seven churches in Revelation, you will see that the two that God lifts up the most, that he commends the most, their two cities, their two many civilizations lasted longer than all the others. And the two that he comes down on hardest, they're gone in a flash, just a couple of years after Revelation was authored. And to Ephesus, where he says that Ephesus, your lampstand, if you don't turn around, your lampstand is gonna be removed from its place. That's the symbol of its church. And you know that just a couple of years later, within a decade, that the silt from the river that Ephesus was on had, had built up so much that they had to pick up the entire city and move it. Is it possible that as the church goes, so goes the civilization? Is it possible that God is not asking the world to confess their sins, but his people? Is it possible, even likely, that if we want to save Western civilization, that his church, the bride of Christ, needs to be blemish-free and faithful? Right here, he says, if you stay faithful, all of that's going to go for you, well for you. But Smyrna itself lasted longer when the Turks came to take over the world. They lasted longer than any other city with a church in it. Is it possible that we are indeed the hope center, the church, not just this one, the hope center for this civilization? That we are the beacon on a hill, that we're a lamp that can't be hidden, that we're supposed to remove the basket, the bushel basket over the camp so that everyone can see it. Whether they want it or not, the world is better because church is here. The world is better because Christ is proclaimed. The world, all of the world is better because there's good and right and noble people of God. And the church represents one thing to the world that nothing else does, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Every other religious system, every other worldview has to do with merit or birthright. 
I have to appease a deity by doing better, by doing more, by doing less, by giving up things, making myself suffer so that God is appeased. Christianity is the only worldview ever that has the concept of grace. C.S. Lewis one time was at a conference of, of Christian theologians in London and he, he's always, he was always late. I don't know if you know that about him. But he came in late and they're in the middle of the discussion. They say, hey, here's what we're talking about. What is it that Christianity offers? Talks about you get what you, you reap what you sow. You get what you have coming to you. And if you got something that I don't think was coming to you, I'm going to try to take that away. And Jesus says, I am not going to count your sin against you. I'm going to take your sin on. And I'm not going to count my righteousness against you. I'm going to give you my righteousness so that my righteousness is yours. So that it's not what you've done. It's what I've done. That, folks, the world desperately needs. Whether it be your next door neighbor or whether it be someone in Kyrgyzstan. The world needs that. Why is the church to declare the manifold wisdom of God? If we aren't faithful, it's possible that the world as we know it goes away. His people who are called by his name are to humble themselves, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways and ask him and he will, be, he will turn his face toward us and he will heal our land. Not in a way that we want necessarily. Jesus didn't come the way that everyone that was looking for him wanted. But it is possible that if we remain faithful, God saves Western civilization. And if that's not the connection, okay. He still says, remain faithful even in the sight of suffering. And I pray to God that none of you have to suffer. And I pray for those of you who are. And I want it back the way it was. But I think God is teaching us a new song in the darkness. And I don't know what it is, but I hope you'll join me in trying to listen for it. As a people of God, and as each individual person, in your frustration, if you stop listening to the noise of the frustration and start listening to the song that God is trying to teach you in the darkness, you might find that there's a beauty and a glory even in the thorns. Let's pray. Lord, we need courage and eyes to see. Courage to turn off the noise, to stop trading with the commodity of fear and anger and accusation and start, and start trading the commodity of peace and joy. Lord, if you're calling us to suffer, help us persevere and overcome. And if you're not, help us know that you can use even that and to give us more heart to pray for those who do suffer. Lord, as we sing to you, 
the song that you already know. We ask that you teach us a new song in the darkness. In Jesus' name, for his sake and for his glory, we pray. Amen.